in the room breathed a sigh of finally <laughs> I shouldn't have said that publicly should I <laughs> no it's great very very good maybe that's why you didn't tell me in case I did that but excellent I don't know how we're gonna follow that but um if you have a bible we're gonna be in Matthew chapter 7 today um we are coming to the end of a teaching series that we've been doing all term we've been looking at one of the most famous speeches in all of human history. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, quoted by politicians and used throughout the centuries, uh, held up as a great ideal of what humanity and the human race can attain to. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount was originally given by Jesus in about 30 AD on a mountainside in, in Israel somewhere, talking to a group of his followers, and he's essentially laying out for them uh, what life looks like as a follower of his. It's Jesus' kingdom manifesto. It was Jesus' way of saying, when God becomes king, this is how we live to follow him. When God becomes king. And in 33 AD, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey like a king returning to his city. They crowned him, albeit mockingly, with a crown of thorns. They dressed him in a purple robe. They crucified him, but then God raised him up Jesus to the highest place, gave him the name above every name. And ever since then, Christians have been living as though Jesus is in fact king because he is. And Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount is laying out for us what life looks like following him. We've looked at issues of anger, lust, marriage, divorce, truth-telling, um, praying, giving, fasting, all of those kind of things. And to introduce for us today uh, the, the, the topic that we're going to be looking at, we're going to watch a brief video together from this season's X Factor. Jackson 5. No, not the Jackson 5. <laughs> Thanks for playing, though. I appreciate that. <laughs> judging. Why were you judging him? No. no, we are. We are talking about the subject of judging others and uh, what Jesus has to say about that. Sorry, that was cruel of me. Um, okay, we're going to be looking at the whole area of judging, being judgmental, and what Jesus has to talk about uh, in regards to that. So having talked about you know, dealing with areas in our own lives, he now talks about um, our relational life and how we live together as God's people or as church people, as Christian people, or even as not. And if you're not a regular at church, you're going to enjoy this because, yes, the church has got this wrong. So you're going to basically sit and watch us tell one another off for how we have a reputation for judging. But let's read this. Chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now sadly the church and sadly Christians are, are often known as being people who are quite judgmental. We did a teaching series here a year ago uh, and we asked Eastbourne and Seaford what their objections were to the Christian faith. The number one objection that Eastbourne and Seaford decided this is the big reason, this is the one main reason why I am not a church person or a Christian, why I am put off. It's not suffering, it's not science, the big reason was this one. Why are Christians so judgmental, so nasty, so hypocritical? 
Now, many Christians are known for being like that or being fault finders, nitpickers, people who are full of pride. Uh, and some Christians seem to have uh, appointed themselves as being the moral policemen and women of the world uh, who act like referees at social parties. I don't know if you, you might have seen these kinds of people. Maybe you've done this yourself. They're always on edge at a social occasion. They're always looking around, just checking that nothing foul is happening because they know at any given moment they could be called upon to blow the whistle. Foul! Foul! Don't say that word. Don't do that. Stop that. Or I saw that. Or foul! Whistle! Whatever. At any given opportunity, the whistle is blown. Don't watch that. Stop doing that. Don't kiss them. I saw that. Or if they don't say that, they do it with their eyes. Christians can do that with their eyes. Peep, stop, I saw that. <laughs> We've all been around people like that. They're the ones that aren't usually invited to social occasions. But you've seen them. And as a Christian, sometimes I felt the pressure thinking, is it my job to be the referee in this occasion? Am I to make sure that nothing bad happens here? Or if you pull out, come out of line, am I to go, Poop, foul, yellow card, you're out, leave, please. Stop messing around. Is that what we're to do? Christians sometimes have the reputation for living like that. And it's true. Some Christians do that. Some do far worse. In the late 90s, some Christians bombed an abortion clinic. Uh, they got known for that. That's the reputation that we carry around with us. Some Christians uh, picket funerals or uh, stand on street corners and hurl abuse at people who are different from them. And in 2004, after the, the big tsunami that killed over 100,000 people, I remember getting an email, like a spam email that went around some Christians, I suppose, basically saying, this tsunami happened as God's judgment on these wicked people. I was like, what? Are you kidding? No, the judgment of God happened at Jesus on the cross, right? We'll talk about that. But what? Christians? And we wonder why sometimes so many people think that that's how Christians are to behave. And if, you, if you're someone who's experienced that kind of judgmentalism at the hands of Christians, or if you've often seen things on the news or TV and just been put off from the gospel, I want to start by apologizing to you. Apologizing to you on our behalf as church. As we've just seen, Jesus begins by this section that we read by saying, judge not, that you be not judged. And I'm sorry if you've ever felt that. We need to hear what Jesus has to say afresh as churches and as individuals. And when the church hears Jesus' words, judge not, that you be not judged. When the society hears those words, judge not, by and large, they give a resounding, Amen. Because we live in a, in a very liberal, very tolerant, very accepting society. A society that doesn't have many rules, but among the top rule is don't judge others. People often say, oh, who am I to judge? It's not my place to judge. Oh, just let them do what they want. Who am I to judge? Which is good. It's good. It gives us freedom of speech or it cuts out racism, fights prejudice. It's good to live in a society like that. But tolerance when it becomes an ultimate thing and when we never judge never pass comment on anybody tolerance can become a bad thing it can cause us to overlook injustice or to be too scared to confront what we think to be injustice or things that we're worried about so we had the 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 thing in the news recently um, where islamic extremism was beginning to infiltrate some schools certainly in london and manchester because the people responsible for stopping that were too scared of being called Islamophobic, were too scared of judging, too scared of calling foul, too scared of using the discernment that they should have done. So maybe judging people isn't all bad. So let's look at what Jesus is saying. 
Well, let's, let's first of all, let's look at what Jesus isn't saying. Uh, he isn't saying, never use your discernment. Never decide between a right and a wrong. Never judge anybody. That's not what he's saying. That's not the heart of it. How do we know? Well, in verse 6, he said, don't give to dogs what is holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. Who are you going to know who the dogs are and the pigs are unless you're using your discernment? Now, for Christians, the most holy thing is the gospel. That's the thing that we're to prize above everything else, the good news of Jesus. And he's saying, look, don't just throw that constantly at people who just trample it and turn their noses up it and scorn it. Don't do that. Don't waste it. But still, Christians, you're to use your discernment. In this passage, he calls people a hypocrite. You hypocrite if you don't take the log out and go for their speck. You hypocrite. Jesus, you're so judgmental. He's not. He's using his discernment. That person is behaving in a way that needs to be called out. In Matthew 18, in the same book, Jesus gives his followers instructions on how to deal with a brother who's sinning repeatedly. Um, in the rest of the New Testament, the writers say similar things. So Paul writes to a church in Corinth in Greece who are committing all kinds of sin and stuck in all kinds of messy situations. And he says, look, church, you've got to bring some discipline. You've got to judge them. Actually, if you're a Christian, you're to judge in the right sense the people around you, to look out for one another. He writes to his protege, Timothy, at the end of his life and says, make sure you admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted. So Jesus isn't saying, never use your faculties of discernment and judging and wisdom. There's a scale, isn't there? On the one hand, there's a having an opinion about something. And on the other hand, there's being nasty, judgmental about things. And then there's everything in between. To, I don't know, being a critic, being critical, just being plain nasty. And what Jesus is saying in what we just read is, Christians, followers of mine, don't go near that end. Don't go near the end of being nasty, judgmental, pouring scorn on people, condemning people. And now this end can look like all kinds of different things, can't it? It can look like anything from, I don't know, refereeing social situations um, to ab bombing abortion clinics, I suppose, being prejudiced. Or if you're anything like me, what it looks like is just being overly cynical and suspicious of everybody that I come across. Maybe you're like me, just suspicious, questioning people's motives, kind of placing yourself in a position of superiority. You know when you're out and about and there's crowds of people around you or you're at a party and you're just observing, we call it people watching. It's not, it's judging. <laughs> we make backstories, oh I bet they're like this and look at the way he's dressed or she's dressed and it's because of this and oh I bet they're like this. People watching, I'm just interested. My mum used to say, I'm a people watcher. And I say, no mum, you're a judger. There's no difference between the two. And we've all got stories of our own. I'm sure of when we, I don't know, we built a story about someone in our minds. We thought they were one thing. And then we're like, oh, you're nothing like that at all. Or we confront someone about something. We speak out and then we get the backstory. Then we get the history and we go, oh boy, I've been wildly wrong about you, haven't I? Gosh. Uh, or if you're a Christian and you're regular at church or conferences, uh, this suspicious kind of cynicism can look like this. You, you're in a meeting and people are singing and some people look more into it than others. And you start looking at them going, hmm, what, what are they doing? What's wrong with them? Or like God's moving powerfully and some people start to shake or some people speak in other languages that you don't understand. And someone stands at the front and they share about how God's met with them powerfully and healed them. And you sit there and you go, hmm, bet you're lying. I don't believe you. I bet you just faked it. I bet you've just made it real. I bet you've just wished it real. And so they are, oh, it's just hysteria. It's just you being ecstatic and over the top, isn't it? 
I don't know if you can relate to that. I've certainly been in those situations going, I'm fighting this cynicism, but I just want to be suspicious. And we hold up cynicism as though that's wisdom. No, it's judging. (laughs) I look at you and go, oh, that must be something that you're doing. You must be faking it. You must be, oh, no. Actually, I should be looking at myself, focusing on what's wrong with me. Someone left the church a year or so ago because I gave them a funny look and they thought that I was looking at them really aggressively. And I went up to them a week after when they were here and said, look, someone tells me that, you know, I gave you a funny look. I'm really sorry. I mean, that's just my face. I didn't mean to give you a funny look. And he said, no, I know what I saw. And I was like, okay, well, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Like, and he said, no, I know what I saw. And never came back. I was like, okay. You've read something into my facial expressions that was, I don't think was there. I have this problem all the time with Amy, right? I try to give, when she's talking, I try to give facial expressions that show I'm engaged, I'm listening, I'm, I care about this. But, so I practice different types of facial expressions like, hmm, hmm, hmm. And she tells me, stop doing that face. I'm like, what? She's like that when she tells herself, and I go, that's my I'm interested face. She goes, stop looking so shocked. I'm like, that's not my shocked face. My shocked face would be, like, and she's sharing a heart. And I'm, we have that argument all the time. And I'm like, you have to just assume that I mean the best. I might do be this, hmm. Can, can, uh, so I just give up doing face expressions now. She tells me, I'm like, just stare. She's like, are you listening? Yes, I'm listening. Anyway. So Jesus isn't saying don't use your powers of discernment. What is he saying? What is he saying? It's don't give in to that attitude of superiority. One author says this, the difference between judgment and discernment is that judgment concludes with a feeling of superiority over the person that I'm judging. And Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century Victorian preacher, says it well when he says this, it does us much hurt to judge. I'm going to do it in like a 19th century Spurgeon voice. That's what that voice was, in case you're wondering. It does us much hurt to judge our neighbours because it flatters our conceit and our pride grows quite fast enough without feeding. We accuse others to excuse ourselves. We are such fools as to dream that we are better because others are worse. And we talk as if we could get up by pulling others down. What is the good of spying holes in people's coats when we can't mend them? A friend's fault should not be advertised and even a stranger's should not be published. He who brays an ass is an ass himself and he who makes a fool of another is a fool himself. Now church people do have a tendency, as much as anyone else, to fall into this. And what that means is that we must not expect one another to be perfect, to get it right. From time to time we will act and say things that reveal that we have a superior heart or we're judging people. And so Jesus, in this passage, he gives us a couple of things to help. He asks us a question, and then he gives us an instruction. Let's look at that. So the question that he asks is this. Why do you notice their speck? Okay, so there is an issue. You're like, ah, I knew it. I knew I needed to address it. There is a speck in their eye. Okay, but he says, whoa, 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 before. Why do you notice their speck? and not the log in your own eye. You're like, huh? Yeah, but there is a speck. He's like, no, let's ask the question first. What does it tell you about you that you notice that in them? I've never really thought of that. And what Jesus is doing is he's kind of using this humorous image, right? So he picks up this big bit of wood and says, look, imagine you have this big log in your eye like this. Chris, can you just help me hold that a sec? (laughs) 
big bit of wood and you hold it against your face like this. And you go, oh, actually, Chris, since you're there, I, really just, I just noticed something. If I just get that out there, here we go. It's a humorous image that's meant to convey the utter, okay, that'll do, utter ridiculousness of what Jesus is saying. Why do you do that? It's like someone who's got food around their face going, oh, excuse me, you've got a little something. Oh, just there. So we say, oh, people who cut in line and then tut, which is the worst thing an Englishman can do. Tut when someone else cuts in line as well. Or when you're driving down uh, the motorway or a dual carriageway and someone, you cut in in front and someone else does the same and you honk your horn or you get out in the middle lane, you put your hazards on and say, get back there. You've just done the same. Like, you hypocrite. Why do you not see that? That's what he's saying. That's what he's challenging. That's the image that he's wanting to convey. In other words, And this is a helpful question that we can ask. What does it say about me that I notice that in them? When you see something that needs addressing, and it might be a legitimate thing that needs addressing, the first thing to ask is this. What does it say about me that I notice that in them? Start by looking in the mirror. Start by holding up a mirror against yourself. That about them bothers me. Like, and you see people like, she should not wear that. Like, uh-uh-uh, she shouldn't wear that. Or she should not, that does not look good on her. First of all, right, before you correct her about her dress sense, is the re- ask yourself the question, I mean, maybe it does look bad on her. Maybe she shouldn't wear that. Maybe it's inappropriate. But maybe the reason you're cross is because you can't wear what she wears. <laughs> you're like, she shouldn't wear that because I can't, right? Or guys, you're like, oh, she, he should not watch that film. He should not play that game. Maybe, or maybe it's because you shouldn't. You can't. You don't. I know there's plenty of things that, I, that some of my friends do that I just can't do because my conscience is more sensitive or I get nightmares or something. <laughs> Certainly when I was a kid, right? I don't get nightmares now. <laughs> and I think, uh, they shouldn't. No, no, maybe it's just that I can't. Is there self-righteousness there? Is there pride? Do you spot that sometimes speaking ill of other people, we do that in order to just feel better about ourselves? And the best thing to do is if you're with a group of people and you all agree together that she should not wear that, and suddenly all of you feel better. Yes, we are right. Collective judgment, right? We, and like, have you heard about so-and-so? Just tell me so I can pray for them. Or I just want to pray for them. Yeah, let me tell you about them. It's gossiping. It's judging. Even sometimes we put religious words around it. First of all, just examine your own heart. Doing this helps you to see the plank of wood in your own eye which is then the first step to improving the relationships and the people around you. Jesus is really here applying relationally what he tells us to do individually. The golden rule, you know, do to others as you only want them to do to yourself. He's applying that here in this area of relationships. Judge others in the same way that you want to be judged. And if you're anything like me, when, when people judge me or when I'll stand before God and he'll judge me, I, um, I want them to take into account everything about me, my whole history, my past, my background, so that they understand, oh, the reason you acted like a jerk then, it wasn't because you're a jerk or because you're a horrible person. It was because when you were 10, <laughs> it was because when you went to school, someone said this and that did this, and then you got here and you went, ah, and oh, I get your history. I want people to judge me like that, right? So if you're judging me right now, just understand there's a reason the way, for, for me being the way I am. Jesus is saying, the rules that you apply to yourself, apply them to other people as well. Now, if you confront me about issues in my life, I will hopefully, graciously apologize, make changes, but not before explaining why they're there. (laughs) 
so, so many of us do this, right? So from time to time, I mean, maybe once or twice a year, I'll upset Amy. And in trying to apologize to Amy, I will apologize and I'll say, please forgive me, I've done wrong. But you need to understand, the reason I did that was because you did this and you didn't do this and you said you'd do this. And that's not what we're talking about. Judge others in the same way that you want to be judged. And Jesus says in this passage, with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. In other words, if you're quick to call foul and blow the whistle, foul, stop that, get out. Yeah, look, if you're quick to do that, if you're quick to write an email, a nasty one, if you're quick to expose someone's flaws, then you can expect the same thing in return. In fact, you're encouraging it. So he says, he says ask this question and gives the instruction, take the log out of your own eye. And in doing this, what he's saying is, in your relationships, be gospel people. Be gospel-centered. Don't be overly quick to pass sentence, to write people off, because God hasn't done that with you. Many of us have gospel amnesia, or we just have some form of selective memory, where we forget our faults. We forget even what we were like if we've changed, or we're blind to the fact that we're still like that. And then when we deal with other people, we think, I'll deal with your sin, I'll deal with your issue, forgetting what God has done with us, forgetting how God has forgiven us. I, I mean, I have this. I have a, I have a wonderful gift for, for selective amnesia when it comes to playing sport. Uh, this is a gift. I never remember losing at anything. Like, which basically, when I play, I play a lot of squash, and when, even if I'm playing against an opponent who's beaten me nine times out of ten, I'll forget them all. And when I'm playing against him, I think, I can win this. I'm better than you. Of course I am. I call it a gift. My wife calls it arrogance. But I still I think it's a selective memory process that when it comes to my sporting life. We do that with the gospel. We do that with our relationships with others. We find out about someone's sin, and we think, I must confront them. I must tell them. And forget, how's God dealt with? with me see the gospel helps you to first see yourself and once you've seen yourself you're then able to see others the gospel is what helps you to see that you're a sinner it's what helps you to see that you're selfish that you're needed you're a captive or you were a captive that you were broken that you needed you needed you needed the gospel is that even though you were needy, even though you'd sinned, not just against your friends, but against God, God still forgave you. God is still helping you. Even though you were enslaved to the worst habits that are ruining your life, God still forgave you and freed you. And the more you allow that medicine to work on you, the more you're in a position to help others. See, the the good news, the gospel, is not a pill that we take and then somehow we're better. It's not a sermon that we listen to. What it is, it's the light by which we see everything. It's the light by which we view all of our relationships, everything to do with our working life and our family life. We view it through the lens of the gospel. In fact, one popular writer says that all sin in our life is really a result of not believing the gospel. Well, the reason I did that was because I didn't really believe that God was enough for me. I didn't really believe that God has forgiven me. And that's why I behaved like I did. See, most of us, uh, we're generous towards ourselves. We cut ourselves a lot of slack, but we're critical of other people. We're quick to be suspicious. We're quick to go, oh, I bet they did that because they're feeling like this, and I bet we're critical. We're gener but what Jesus is saying, I want you to reverse it. Instead, I want you to be critical of self, question self, be suspicious of your own motives, and be generous towards other people. 
hold, we don't want to hold other people to a standard that we ourselves don't keep. So Jesus reverses it. So I came across a story of um, a married couple who had been married for many years, and for many years their marriage had been very unhappy. Um, the wife had always kind of judged her husband and been disappointed with her husband because he wasn't, she didn't feel he was able to lead her and lead her home in the way that she wanted. And so they were going for lots of counselling, receiving a lot of help from the church. And then one day she was with her mum and dad and she noticed the way that her mum spoke to her dad and she thought, oh, that's how I speak to, and maybe that's why I'm doing this and maybe that's why I'm behaving like this. And she realised that she'd been judging her husband. Everything that he did was never good enough. He was, all of the efforts that he made, she'd just judge him, saying, you're not a good enough leader, you're not a good enough husband. She realised that. She saw it in a moment, I realised it, repented, healed their marriage, changed them, because suddenly she realised, oh, and she started to stop judging and appreciating. Do you do that? In your relationships, in your marriage, is, your, is every attempt that your husband makes to woo you or to show you affection, do you overlook it because it's never quite what you want it to be because he misses the target, doesn't quite understand you? Are you always disappointed with him because he doesn't know you? He should know better by now. Do you judge them very quickly? Or husbands, do we do that? We do that to our wives. She should know that this is what I want. She should serve me. We don't say that, but it's there. We judge them very quickly. Or if you're single, do you very quickly look at other people and think negative, suspicious thoughts of them? Do you look at married couples or families and you hear preachers talking about family and church family and you think, oh, what do they know? This church is rubbish at family. This church don't support single people. They don't help me. They're never there for me. Are you quick to get there, quick to judge, quick to overlook the attempts that people do make to include you, to care for you? Or do you judge other people? If you're single, do you judge people who are no longer single but they've settled for someone who's really not great for them? Do you judge them and go, well, they've just sold out. They've sold out. They shouldn't have done that. Do you judge them rather than loving them? Or if you're a mum, right? It's very, my, my observation of parenting, right, is that for most women, the maternal instinct is, instinct is a lot stronger than it is than the paternal instinct is for men. Not just that it's, not, it's a lot stronger, women are just naturally a lot better at caring for and being that provider for their children. And as mums, it's very easy to make your husband feel judged, to feel just useless around the house, useless with the kids, everything he does. It's just embarrassing. Every attempt that he brings to discipline, he doesn't do it quite right. Over time, it's not, it's not us, no, thank you. Uh, <laughs> over time, that can breed an attitude of suspicion or judgmentalism. Or are you suspicious of leaders? Do you judge leaders? This is a big one. We live in a society that pours dishonor on anyone in leadership and authority. So I know as I pastor a group of people and try to preach, I know, because I'm like you. It's very easy to sit there and just think snide remarks in our heads, to just judge, to be critical, to critique overly, harshly. It's what we do. It can be our first nature, our second nature, our, our reflex reaction, or we do it with our employers because they're not perfect. They make plenty of mistakes. They said that when they should have said that, or the way they dealt with that was very, I would not have done that. They're not human. They're not perfect people. We can be very critical towards them. 
We read newspapers that, again, encourage this atmosphere of judging and judgmentalism, that talk about the blight of the urban poor, the, 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 the benefit claimants, or talks about how bad immigration is and how immigrants themselves are bad people. Jesus is calling the church to live wildly countercultural from the things that we read in the paper. And yet often it's the things that we read in the paper that influence us a lot more than the gospel of God. He's forgiven me. He loved me when I was an outsider, when I was poor, when I was broke, when I had nothing. He welcomed me, accepted me. Now, this newspaper, I don't need to listen to that. But it influences us. Our TV shows that we watch do the same. Oh, we, I mean, we have TV shows that encourage us to think of ourselves as judges, like X Factor, right? So this guy comes on the screen and everyone sits there going, what a plonker. I bet he's going to be rubbish. Oh, this is going to be embarrassing. It's going to be another case of put the village idiot on TV, isn't it? And we all start to judge. We build an impression in our mind and then, oh, <laughs> the amount of times Amy and I, we watch Strictly, obviously, and um, we watch that and then they do a dance and we're like, oh no, what about they missed that and, oh, that's f- and that fleckle wasn't quite right, was it? And then they come for the judging and they go, what an amazing, ju- what an amazing dance. And we look at each other and go, what do we know? <laughs> But we watch TV shows that encourage that attitude. Makes us feel powerful when we can be cynical, when we can be skeptical. We've got to watch it. If you're like that, Jesus says to you, ask this question. What does that say about you that you notice that in them? Work that out, take the log out, repent, which means ask for forgiveness, and then live gospel-centered. Now, just as we come to a a conclusion, I want to just focus on one last thing. So Jesus does tell us, you know, take the log out of your own eye, but then you'll be able to get the speck out of your brother's eye. There is a speck. There is an issue to be addressed. So this isn't so much a, a reading about never judge. It's a reading about this is how you judge properly, right? So what does a church or a community or a family or society look like that judges well? And how do we do that? What would it look like? Well, it it would look like being a group of people who receive outsiders gladly. That when visitors arrive, you don't leave it to the people in the blue t-shirts to go, welcome, lovely to see you. You go, it's great to see you. Welcome. It receives people of all backgrounds, all races, all life stages, all sexualities, whatever. Make them feel at home, make them feel welcomed. On Sundays, midweek, in our homes, in our social settings, that's what the gospel does. It makes you like that. I remember when I was at uni, um, just kind of getting my fingertips on this whole church thing and trying to work out the gospel and if it was for me and what was I going to do and I started going to church I was starting to try to improve my life and live differently and I remember very clearly I went to I was in the nightclub one one evening and uh, I was a little bit worse for wear I was smoking I was drunk and I bumped into someone from church oh no the worst thing possible I've been trying to create this Christian image now you've seen the real me uh oh and I never forget what he said to me because it really made an impact on me. I looked at him and I had a cigarette in my hand and my eyes were blurry and he said, I don't think any less of you. I thought, like, what? I don't think any less of you. I don't judge you. And that was it. it, kind of, it, it we were busy so he went off and I stumbled off and, and it made a real impression on me. Because when you've received grace, you give grace. When you know that God has not judged you harshly, you don't judge other people harshly. You're patient with them because you know God is patient with you. 
So a community of people looks like that and it looks like a group of people who as well, we love one another enough to go for the specs from time to time, to go for the things in our eyes that are blocking us, things that blind spots that we can't see, sin that we're struggling with, it goes for them. And so to help, I just want to share a, a brief an acronym to help us deal, judge, judge people with tact, right? Help people. So if nothing else, you remember that in trying to remove a speck from someone's eye, you do it with tact. It stands for this, time it. Don't just bluster in and go, oh, there's a problem. Let me tell you about it. Pick your moment. Chances are it's not going to go away overnight. Don't just grab them in the corridor. Oh, just before you go, can I just tell you what you said then really, oh, that destroys them. Time it. Pick a moment. Say, can we meet up? I'd just like to talk to you about a few things. Again, if we love one another enough, we will from time to time go for the specs, help one another out. Timing it gives you a chance to pray for them, that God blesses them. Gives you a chance to make sure you love them. It gives you a chance to pray for yourself, to weed out the logs and the weeds. A, ask for permission. Just because you noticed it doesn't mean it's your right to confront it. <laughs> I saw it. What does, that tell, what does that say about me? That I noticed that in them? Maybe I'm just very discerning. I'm just a very discerning person. Now, I've noticed it, let me tell you. No, don't barge in. Don't assume the role of life coach. People who assume a right to be critical or to give advice all the time, those kind of people, they worry me. Uh, and actually, once you've done this once and you've asked for permission and they've said yes, it opens up a much deeper relationship and friendship, gives you permission to do it two or three times. Uh, so I know there are, there are friends of mine that because of this, I can ask them at any given moment, how's it going with this? How are, you, how are you getting on with that thing we talked about that you're struggling? When was the last time you looked at this? We can do that because I've asked permission. C, be Christ-like. Love the person, not the problem, or love the person more than the problem, and see Jesus as the solution, not yourself. Oh, let me just tell you how to fix it. Or, here's a problem. I struggle with that. This is what Jesus says. Let's pray. Let's go to him. He's the solution. He's the one who can help. You know, the same words, uh, the same words can be discernment and love from one person and condemnation and superiority from another. Depends if they're being Christ-like. So time it, ask permission, be Christ-like, and lastly, do it thoughtfully. I don't know if you noticed it, but eyes close up very quickly if you try to get something out. The natural instinct is to close it and say, keep away. And when someone's confronted you about something in your life, the instinct reaction is to say, what do you know? Who's, it's not your right to say anything. You close up, you tense up. In this church, we want to be people who walk towards the messes. We don't stand at a distance and just yell things or just make policies about situations. We want to be people who notice a mess and we walk towards it thoughtfully, caringly, lovingly, looking to support and come alongside people. So do it with tact. You know, the contrast between discernment and judgment is this. One looks to bring the axe down really quickly. The other one looks to hold it off as long as you can. Imagine a church like that who starts to love and judge people like Jesus says that we should. Imagine a family. Imagine how it could change your workplace. Imagine how God could use you to be a source of grace to people as we remember the kindness of God to us and we give it away towards others. See, the only one in, in the universe who has the right to judge, the only one who has the right to feel superior to all of us, the only one who will one day sit in judgment over everyone, what did he do? He came into the world 
John 3.16 says he came to the world not to condemn the world, but to love the world, to give his life for the world. Uh, Romans 2 verse 4 says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Jesus is coming back one day to judge the living and the dead. And his judgment will be a righteous and fair judgment. It will be, a, it will be something that afterwards we say that was right, that was good. So how do we respond? We respond to others not with a whistle, calling foul, but with tact, loving people. Enough to call them out, but to do it thoughtfully and in a way that's Christ-like. And we respond to God with repentance for the judgment that we see in ourselves. We respond to others asking for forgiveness. And we respond with gratitude for all that God has done in our lives. I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're going to conclude this morning by uh, worshipping again or singing a song, thanking God for his goodness to us. Let me just pray. Father, thank you that you have withheld the axe from us. You haven't come to judge us, to condemn us. You've come to love us and to save us. I pray that you'd make us a community of people, God, who live with Jesus as our King, we live to follow Him. We don't take on the attitudes of the press, the attitudes of the TV shows that we watch, but that we live gospel-centered lives, living for You in everything that we do. Amen.